Hello and welcome to the Poetry Exchange. I'm Michael Schaefer. And I'm Fiona Bennett. How wonderful to see you, Michael. Glowing still, I may say, as I as I look at you from your very lovely birthday that you had recently, which <laughs> it was a joy to be a part of one of your celebrations. I understand you had several. A, a friend of mine referred to it as a tapas arrangement of birthday celebrations. So, yeah, I'm going with that. Um, yeah, it was lovely. It was lovely to have you there, Fee, and my dad and my sister and so many lovely friends. I really felt the love. And um, I am still glowing, but it's mainly because of this wonderful weather. It's just really beautiful, isn't it? Have you been getting out and about around Chester Way? Uh, yeah, I've been getting round and about around Chester Way, around Nottingham Way. Been having a wonderful time working with our dear friend there, Maria. Mm. I actually got to confess, Michael, I quite often like to get on my bike and just scoot around a very lazy cycle around my neighbourhood because my neighbour's gardens are all so kind of lovely and just going oh, look what they've got in the front and then I've got that brilliant app that tells you what they are which my nephew switched me on to oh, that, that identifies the plants and the flowers yeah so I can educate myself with latin names and all that stuff you know it's great oh, good I can feel a poem coming out of that Fiona <laughs> we'll see <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not aware of there being any particular poetry related news for us to discuss this month, Fiona. So perhaps we should move towards introducing our guest and our poem for this month. Indeed. So this was fantastic, actually. This was a conversation that for a long time I'd hoped we would be able to arrange, but it was just brilliant to have the chance to meet and introduce you to the wonderful poet and also host of audio conversations about poetry, Lois P. Jones. And we spoke with her a while back now. She was in Pasadena where she lives. And I think it was her breakfast and our our evening, something like that. And you've known Lois for a while. Do you want to talk a little bit about how you came to know each other? Well, I was doing a poetry school course big shout out to the poetry school here and it was one of these courses where you don't actually have to do kind of zoom encounter things so you never meet each other you just you're posted a a task a challenge shall we say and everybody responds to the challenge in written form and everybody comments towards each other's work so it's a very special kind of way of getting to know somebody and I mean every time Lois P. Jones posted a poem on this course I was immediately feeling I should resign from the course entirely because it was just completely phenomenal what she was producing and so beautiful and powerful and authentic and pertinent and wonderful and not only her poems but also her commentary on poems and then of course I realized that she she did something similar to us. That's right yeah Lois is a kind of regular contributor to the Poets Cafe which is a KPFK radio show. Yeah, she's a bit of a polymath, a bit like you, Fiona. She's a poet and an editor, and she, yeah, contributes to the Poets Cafe. We will put Lois's website in our description so you can go and find out more about her there. But just one highlight to tell you about, this is a, a recent achievement. Lois won the 2023 Alpine Fellowship, which I'm reading. This year takes place in Sweden, Fiona. So that's very exciting. But uh, I think it's time we got into the conversation. So you're going to be hearing myself and Fiona 
talking about What Survives by Rainer Maria Rilke, the poem that's been a friend to Lois. Okay, you have to you have to recite it in French as well. I'm German. Oh no, this was written originally in French. Oh, okay. Was it? How interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what, Lois. Do you want to kick it off by just giving it a read for us? Who says that all must vanish? Who knows? Perhaps the flight of the bird you wound remains. And perhaps flowers survive our caresses in their ground. It isn't the gesture that lasts, but it dresses you again in gold armor from breast to knees. And the battle was so pure. An angel wears it after you. Fantastic. Thank you. Very Very beautifully read, Lois. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. It's a slight different translation than what you may have had as well. And I've come across that a number of times. I have asked native French speakers, um, translators, to look at this poem and tell me exactly what it means. And everyone has different interpretations. And, you know, translators get very passionate about the meanings of various words and phrases. And I couldn't really get agreement on it. But in some ways, I liked the idea that we're still struggling with the meaning. I came across it originally somewhere online. And then just maybe five years ago, I was reading this book called Letters to Merlin, who was his last lover, and visited him at Museau, where he spent his last six years of his life. And I was reading these letters, and suddenly, here's the poem. And he'd written it to her, because she was madly in love with him, and he was always kind of like cancer the crab, you know, a little bit to the side of things. He he didn't directly want a relationship, but he didn't want to marry her. He didn't want to commit. He wanted his space. And so it may have been a way of his trying to comfort her in some way. I don't know. But for me what is important to me and what has become more important to me is the idea of what continues on, what survives, what stays after we go. So I love this idea of the way he begins, who says that all must vanish, who knows perhaps the flight of the bird you wound remains. So the bird has been wounded, but the flight remains. How beautiful is that? And then perhaps flowers survive our caresses in their ground. So here you have flowers who are the most, they're tremulous in the world. You know, they're very fragile. And so to caress something that is so fragile, and yet it survives our our touch. It survives what effect we create on it. And this can be the metaphor for humans too. You know, so you see, I've extended out the meaning for myself in different ways. So then he kind of contradicts himself. 
it isn't the gesture that lasts, but it dresses you again in gold armor from breast to knees. So again, there's this idea that whatever continues, this is my interpretation, can have many forms. So even a negative where you would have the wounded bird or the caressed flower can transform again into something beautiful. You are now dressed in gold armor from breast to knees. And then he speaks of the battle. So what is the battle? Who knows what the battle is? But the battle to me is our existence in this world as spiritual beings. So that's what I've taken away from it. And so this battle was so pure, an angel wears it after you. Rilke loves angels, so he's going to plant an angel wherever he can. (laughs) And if you've read anything of his, you know that he was all about experiencing the multi-universe, you know, and everything that could possibly be perceived out there, from the real world to seances, you know, he was into it. Wow. Yes, thank you so much for taking us through the poem. I think it's, you know, someone said uh, a good poem is a mystery you can trust. And so even though I don't know every meaning, I trust what's underneath the poem. And it's not one of his better known poems for obvious reasons. I mean, people read it and went, wow, what does that mean? You know, exactly. What is he talking about there? And I thought, oh, why don't I just, you know, choose another poem? But I have to say that this has been my friend. And more and more I'm writing about this idea of what happens in the universe that we can't see, what happens in the spiritual plane, what is left behind when we, when we go. So um, that's about as philosophical as I can get. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. But this is so interesting in this poem. It isn't the gesture. And so for me, I was understanding the gesture in the poem as being the shot that brought down the bird, the mm. caress of the flower as the gesture. That's not the thing that, that we remember here or that lasts. And then this second stanza, it makes me think of that idea that we're spiritual beings on a human journey. It kind of made me think of that. It's interesting, the gold armor. Gold is a very soft metal. It's terrible metal to choose as armor. That might be something that you might wear in a ceremonial way almost. Mm -hmm. And I suppose that does kind of point to like an idealized thing or something that's yeah, something that is more spiritual, I suppose. Yeah, may, you know, may an angel wear it. I love that idea. Yeah. And also your attention to gesture as a word. So that gave me another feeling about it because there's the gesture, but then there's the action. And uh-huh. then there's the effect, right? Yeah. So gesture almost brings it back to the intention rather than the act, if that makes sense. Yeah. When was Rilke writing? When would he have written? So this was towards the end of his life. This was written, um, actually have the date, it's 30 August 1920. Right. Uh, Well, it's the time when he wrote the letter, so he probably wrote it somewhere around there. And he lived another six years. So he was in his 40s when he wrote that. Mm. 
he probably wasn't thinking much about death at that point. Well, I should say he probably always was thinking about death, <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know, not his own physical demise. So Lois, I want to ask you about your early encounters, not just with this poem, but with Rilke, when that was in your life and what was happening around you that meant he had this incredible power to draw you like this. I actually was just starting to write. I had discovered poetry in Switzerland and um, uh, my French boyfriend was translated this poem at, at our table on Valentine's Day by Paul Eluard. And I fell in love with Eluard's work. I loved surreal poetry. That was my real draw. So I wasn't writing them, but I was starting to read and read quite a bit. Then I met this lovely fellow at work one day and I said, oh, you know, I've just started writing and we got into conversation and he said, well, do you know about Rilke? And I said, no, I don't. And he said, oh, well, you must, must read letters to a young poet. And that's actually kind of the starting point for almost everybody that I know that are familiar with his work have read letters to a young poet because of its universal appeal, it speaks to the artist, and it spoke to me. And I thought, who is this? <laughs> you know, the voice was so intimate and so um, luminous. And then I, I just went on from there. I read everything I could get my hands on. And I thought, this is like a soul friend, you know. Those two words as well that you offered at the beginning, intimate and luminous. And the combina that combination is very, I was going to say seductive, the kind of tenderness and the kind of close-up of intimate, mm -hmm. whilst at the same time going out to the universe and beyond. That's, um, yeah, that's powerful stuff, isn't it? So powerful. And I love that you said tenderness because... That is like a key word I associate with him. There's a tenderness in his way, in his being, in his work. And my goodness, you have luminous intimacy. How seductive is that? You know, no wonder so many women fell for him. <laughs> and men too. I wanted to ask a bit more about the draw of surreal poetry and the draw of this particular poet. You know, was that like... There's nowhere else I can get this. There are just no other Rilkas, just like there are no other Lorcas. There are no other um, Sapphos who are still trying to decipher her little fragments, you know. Mm -hmm. But I continue to be drawn to the Surrealists and to Rilke. Rilke was not a Surrealist, but I want layers when I read something. I want to use my own imagination inside the world of the poet and the poem. I used to love Trackel as another one who just made my skin, you know, like, oh, just uh, an intimacy in his voice that felt uncomfortable almost because it was so dark. But also I love dark lyricism too. So those two can live together uh, in interesting ways. So I like this idea of leaping from one thing to another. And Rilke 
could plant these ideas and create a leap. So you're surprised by it. Like in this poem, who says it almost vanished? So it starts with a straight line. And then suddenly you're thinking about what, who knows, perhaps the flight of the bird you wound remains. So it's, it's a bird that's been wounded, but now it's the flight. And that's an abstraction. So we're imagining the flight remaining in the sky. It's not a typical association, the way he advances his ideas from one thought to another. It is such a brilliant first line, isn't it? Right. It's just such a great provocation. And then it strikes me, it's not just that the bird is wounded, it's the bird you wound remains. And you go, oh yeah, hang on, I've wounded it. He's telling me I've done that. Right. But even so, in the second stanza, he tells me I'm going to be dressed from breast to knees in gold armour. Yes, that's right. A very personal you wound. So we get caught up in the things that we do that harm people, that harm others. But I'm not punished as a result, am I? No. You know, I'm rewarded at the end or or that that, that somehow it's almost as if the, the purity of the essence of me isn't damaged by that. Yes, because you who are that essence are not the wounding. It's not you. So it's not to be irresponsible for our actions, but it tells us exactly that, that who are we beneath these things that we do. Also, with I was noticing the and perhaps flowers survive our caresses in their ground. Oh, yeah. You know, that's the opposition yeah. of those things as well. That us and them, <laughs> which has also that, that kind of aspect of, this is a terrible phrase to use, but, you know, kind of get over yourself a bit as well. <laughs> that all this stuff that you're bound up yes. about yourself and you've done this or has your life meant enough or... It's a kind of contradictory thing of, on the one hand, take yourself seriously and everything matters. And on the other hand, there's many things you don't know about. Right. I think that's a great observation. And I think that that counterpoint exists and that tension exists. Can I ask, Lois, it seems to me that it is a spiritual poem, uh, even even if just on the sense of uh, you know anything that's beyond the physical, we could describe in that way. Uh, I was just, um, I suppose, wanting to uh, ask you where that fits in for you. Wow, yeah, <laughs> just, just a little question. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> lovely. Spiritual with a capital S, absolutely. Uh, his journey, he started off, uh, his mother was very, very obsessive Christian. And this marked his early days and, and his early work, too. He wrote an incredible collection um, called Love Poems to God. I don't think that was his original title, but it was a book of hours. And those poems completely blew me away because they were conversations with God, a God I'd never heard of. And he spoke to God as if, I think one of his poems even says, you need me, you know, like you need me 
in order to be who you are. And he was really examining what his relationship was with God. And he moved through many phases, but I think he just embraced all he knew and eschewed the Christianity at the end because he found it too limiting. Uh, There's a great poem where, I think it's in his uh, Sonnets to Orpheus, where he talks about no God inside a a cage in a church. Uh, And I'm paraphrasing that, right? That's not the kind of God I want, he says. Whatever force there is out there is everywhere, exists anywhere. So I think he really freed himself from that. And um, I, I probably have taken somewhat the same path. I, I started as a, uh, my grandmother was an Orthodox Jew, and I went to Hebrew school. And I, um, I loved the culture of Judaism. But in terms of the structure and the dogma, I grew away from that pretty quickly because it was all about sinning. These ideas of controlling us through uh, the dogma. And I I think ultimately, you know, we may move away from all of that as as a species. Um, At least I hope so. It was sort of that idea of this poem somehow representing its kind of anti-original sin in in some ways. It is, you know? isn't it? Because that surely that's a sin to wound a bird in flight. But right. who knows? Perhaps the flight of the bird you wound remains. <laughs> you know. And he's saying maybe even if you do that, still you have gold armour. Doesn't it give us hope? It it, yeah. it instills the sense that anything can change. We can change. You referred to Rilke as a soul friend earlier, which I thought was great. And I just wondered if you could talk a bit more about this poem uh, as a friend, uh, if you were to categorise this poem as a type of friend. Because it tells me that everything does not stop where life ends. For me, it's the ultimate idea of the continuation of the soul, I have to say. I mean, that is how I embody that poem, even though it has all these other gestures and meanings and everything within it. uh, For me, it says that it's always about what has been created, what you have created, and how things can transform and transcend and continue to, to be and continue to grow. So uh, I, I find this poem as a friend when I get too serious about life. And I think, or even in, in, in when I've lost somebody very dear to me, who says that all must vanish. So my dear friend is still there. He's somewhere out there. I can't maybe have such a direct conversation with him. But something has remained, and I know it's there. Qui te dit que tu disparaisses de l'oiseau que tu blesses 
qui sait s'il ne reste le vol. Et peut-être les fleurs des caresses se vivant à nu de leur sol. Ce n'est pas le geste qui dure, mais il nous revêt de l'armure d'or, des flancs aux genoux, étant la bataille fut pure qu'un ongle la porte après vous. Who says that all must vanish? Who knows? Perhaps the flight of the bird you wound remains. And perhaps flowers survive our caresses in their ground. It isn't the gesture that lasts, but it dresses you again in gold armour from breast to knees, and the battle was so pure that an angel wears it after you. That was Fiona with the original French reading of the poem and uh, me with the boring old English. Well done, Fee. You dusted down your, your French very impressively there. Our thanks, of course, to Lois for the conversation and for allowing us to use it on the podcast. And indeed to Grey Wolf Press for allowing us to feature the poem. Now, we mentioned at the beginning, Fiona, that Lois is a very accomplished poet and so... With her permission, we thought it might be a nice thing for us to air one of her poems. I believe you've you've had a little look and you might have selected something. Indeed, yeah. So this is from Lois's collection, which is called Night Ladder. Beautiful title for a collection. And this is called Apple. I am an apple in the pocket of this old coat of yours, honest and round. Feel me blindly with rough hands. Dare to take me out and examine the deep wine bruises, the garnet wounds. What green is left reddens quickly in your palm. Twist my stem between your fingers until it snaps. Then lay me down on the pine table. Split me open with your sharpest knife. Your tongue draws out each seed. Dark eyes that want to grow in you. Place this slice between your lips. One bite to remember an orchard. Wow! What a poem! That was just, I was, I, I didn't think it was possible to be on the edge of my seat over an apple like that. That was incredible. Oh, it's absolutely terrific. I could choose any poem from this book. They'd all be fine examples of the power of Lois P. Jones. So get to Glass Liar Press to get this collection. I also know that Lois is working hard on her next collection yet to be published. So very much watch out for that, which of course is also Rilke connected. Mm. So... We'll leave that hanging there and when it comes, we'll bring you news, dear listeners. To which end, make sure you subscribe. 
Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, if you have friends in your life that you think might be partial to a bit of poetry, do uh, spread the word, let them know. It's really great to to have new people discovering the podcast. And of course, there's this whole archive now, Fee. We've been doing it a while, haven't we? There's some incredible conversations to, to go back and, and find. We should also, Michael, send a huge congratulations, if you haven't yet heard the news, that this very month, Patterson Joseph has been awarded the Royal Society of Literature Christopher Bland Prize for his phenomenal piece of work, The Secret Diaries of Charles Ignatius Sancho. It is an extraordinary piece of work, redefining how one might write into history and indeed rewriting or correcting history in some ways as he does so so fantastic congratulations to Patterson I believe he's still smiling from the news I heard and of course you can hear him talking about 5am the poem by Roxy Dunn yeah he's a fantastic actor and a terrific man and we're, we're, we're very pleased to have him as a friend that's all we've got time for this month we'll be back with you next month with more poems as friends Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.